Welcome to the Creative Writers Tool Belt, the podcast that gives you advice and insights for your writing. I'm Andy Chamberlain, I'm a writer and creative writing coach, and in each episode, we'll be exploring an aspect of the craft together. You can find out more at my website, andrewjchamberlain.com, where you can also find out about the Creative Writers Tool Belt Handbook, which takes all the best advice and insights from the early episodes of the podcast and distills them into one volume. I hope this podcast is helpful to you on your writing journey. If you do find it useful, please do subscribe and consider leaving a review as well wherever you downloaded it. So thank you for joining me and here's this episode. And welcome to episode 162 of the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast. Yes, the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast is back after a hiatus of about 18 months and it's a delight for me to be able to talk to you guys again. For those of you who have listened to the Creative Writers Toolbelt in the past, I want to reassure you the core mission is still the same. This podcast exists to help you and me become better writers and produce great work. To do this, I'll be bringing you the best advice and insight for the writing life, practical tips on the craft, techniques, and information on navigating our way around the ever more complex world of creating, publishing, and distributing our work. I'll be sharing advice and insight from my experiences, as well as talking to people who I think are interesting and have something to say that's worth listening to. And I'm relaunching the podcast with a short series of episodes about the writing life, the joys, the disappointments, the sheer hard work of it. And we'll be hearing from a group of very determined and inspiring writers, each of whom, like you, has to face challenges and pressures in their life, which mean that it's sometimes difficult for them to get to their writing. So my guest for this first episode of the newly relaunched podcast is the author and teacher Sarah Moorhead. Sarah is every inch the Scouser that she sounds. And if you're wondering what the term Scouser means, it's not an insult. It's a term that refers to a person who comes from or lives in the city of Liverpool in England. Sarah is funny and honest and determined. All the qualities that I think we need to have in big quantities as writers. In our conversation, we talk about keeping the faith with our stories and our voice asking ourselves the question, who are you as a writer? And nurturing that determination to see a writing project through to the end. I had a great time talking to Sarah. I hope you will enjoy listening to our conversation. Here it is. So Sarah, welcome to the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast. It's great to have you as my guest today. Well, it's lovely to see you, Andy, or to hear you. I can see you, obviously, we're on video, yeah. but um, it's yeah. lovely to be here. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to have you. And um, I want to start by asking you if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your writing journey so far. Okay, so I'm a mum of two boys. I teach in secondary school just outside Liverpool. I live in Liverpool, um, which is the centre of my universe and the most beautiful place ever. Uh, So as you can tell, I'm a scouser. Um, And I also, I run a youth group, just at some piece youth group, and I um, study univer- study university, study theology, because I'm interested in life, the universe, and everything in, in the mysteries. I grew up in a Irish Catholic household, and we have quite a few scientists in my family. So uh, I'm very interested in science and religion, how they cross over, mm. and, and mm. the um, the sort of ethics and morality of technology. So I'm a busy bee, Andy, quite a busy bee. 
sounds like it actually and didn't I read somewhere you're a black belt in something as well yeah in kickboxing yes I mean I'm I'm um I'm I'm getting a bit older now but in my in my younger days in my in my 30s I, I really enjoyed martial arts and the discipline wow. of it and keeping yes. fit and yeah so Sarah can you tell us a little bit then about your writing that's another aspect of, of your life that keeps you busy how did that start and what what do you get up to with the writing well if we're going to go all the way back to the beginning Andy when I was very small I and I can still remember my mum used to teach me letters of the alphabet as she was doing the laundry and the cooking and uh, she taught me to read very early on and she always read to me so in our house we have a great love of books and we love stories and of course with the Irish tradition we're always telling stories um, and so I started writing little stories and poems when I was, you know, five, six, seven, um, really enjoyed English at school and um, read a lot until I started teaching. And as, as I said, I didn't teach English, I wanted to teach something else. Um, and when I was about two years in, I found teaching very challenging and I wondered had I made the right decision. Mm. So I looked into myself and said, well, if I was going to do something else, what would I do? And I realised that I'd always been a writer and I'd always loved books. And that was something that was really at the heart of me. So I started then, and that's 27 years ago, on a journey to publication. So it's been a long time coming. I, mean, I think there's an interesting point just in that, isn't there, that anybody who thinks that they can kind of get into writing and, and you know, be an overnight success or just do it in like, a day or a week or something they're usually going to be disappointed those people aren't they because it is a long haul I think people who say oh they just say oh, oh I fancy being a writer I think there's no way they're ever going to do it because there's so many elements to yourself that would have been in place for such a long time mm -hmm. um from being very young and you know um so not only reading and you would have already been writing you already ponder ideas um, and also, I think you need a lot of determination and persistence. You need to be very strong minded. Um, I've got a video of myself when I'm two and a half in the garden. We refer to it as the welly shot. So mum took a video of me or a cine film back in the back in the ancient days. Yeah. And I'm, um, I'm trying to put a welly on. So one of my wellies is lying on the floor flat. And I have one on and I try 20 odd times to put that welly on and then finally get it on. And I just run off. And mum said, that is just so like you. She said, you're so persistent and you just go for it and go for it. And I think part of being a writer is like being a dog with a bone and just to overcome the obstacles to get there. I think we'll probably talk a little bit more around that kind of attitude and the kind of challenges that we have as a writer. But there's a couple of other things I want to ask you more directly about your writing work first. So. You just mentioned there that you're a teacher. So what do you teach then if you didn't want to do English? Or... Right. So I teach uh, religious education in okay. uh, secondary school, which is it's a brilliant subject. It's a lovely subject to teach. Uh, we explore life, the universe and everything. We mm -hmm. talk about different religions. We talk about ethics and morality, you know, from abortion to euthanasia. We talk about how people live their lives and, and big topics like justice mm -hmm. and redemption um, and forgiveness. So, uh, you know, they, they were all the sorts of things I'm interested in anyway. Um, and it's great to be able to share those ideas with young people. And young people are very, very receptive to, to a lot of those ideas. And, and we enjoy discussions. 
um, and they are they obviously they sometimes challenge me as well about my ideas, which is brilliant, mm. and, and bring me into into some maybe more modern thinking or maybe more extreme thinking. So, do you think your work as a teacher has helped or hindered your writing career, or is it not really? Has it been a completely separate thing? Well, it's very much a part of who I am. So. Um, it's helped because, as I say, we can discuss big ideas and young people are very honest and they're pretty blunt. Mm. So they will tell you what they think and they'll keep you on your toes. Mm. Um, and as I say, they will stimulate new ideas. And because we're exploring ideas, um, I think in that respect, it's helped my writing. The difficulty is that writing, uh, that teaching is a very, very time consuming job and it takes an awful lot of energy. So even though some people sort of say, well, you get six weeks off in the summer and they might say, well, you know, you only work till half three or four. Well, I'd, I would challenge anybody to take half an hour of um, 32, 15 year olds and, you know, not feel worn out or mm. tired mm. out. Uh, mm. So it is a very demanding job. And in that respect, um, it, it's been difficult to find time to write or to find the energy to write. So after I had my second son, I decided to go part-time. So I teach three days a week and I've been working on my writing for um, at least the other two days a week to try and balance the two, the two jobs. Okay. Now, looking on your website, you say that you write high concept, near future crime thrillers with a spec fic tech twist. Well, I'm interested in crime thrillers. I think they're really exciting to read. Yeah. And, and I always wanted to write a book that I would enjoy reading. So I wanted something that would be gripping, exciting. It would give you a bit of a thrill. Um, the high concept idea is, as I say, I'm interested in science and religion. And I'm interested in um, the morality of technology. So um, Witness X, which is the book that came out in 2020, and my new book are both... Uh, have got very strong sort of sciency um, themes and how that science is used um, and the questions around should it be used in those manners and the specific twist and um, the I think the biggest thing for me when writing a story is the what if element mm. uh, and I mm. think that gives it a sort of speculative fiction feel so for instance in Witness X um I'm very frustrated and obsessed with the idea of truth. You know, is there an objective truth and how do you get to the truth and why do people lie and, and, and what do those lies mean? So I'd say, well, what if you could actually get into somebody's brain and extract the truth from somebody's brain directly? What would that mean for, a, you know, for the crime system? What would it mean for um for people that we could solve crimes and we could get proper witness statements where, you know, obviously uh, people have issues with memory and when we go through traumatic events like observing a crime, then that might affect how we see those things and you might not be able to tell the truth exactly as it was. Not because you didn't want to, but because you remembered it wrongly yeah. or you were upset yeah. or et cetera. So um, the what if element of witness X is what if we could get directly to the memories um, in the brains. Okay. So uh, people have been writing like in the thriller genre and writing about crime um, and writing about quite gruesome aspects of crime for years, decades, hundreds of years, potentially. Why do you think thrillers and crime fiction and that whole genre is still so popular? Uh, well, the thriller part of it, I definitely think people want excitement. They want an escape from everyday life. Uh, and when we enter a book, I, th I do think you're entering another world completely and you want to go in there and 
be excited or be gripped. You know, how many books saying I couldn't put this, you know, cover cover quote saying I couldn't put it down. Um, So people do want that side of it. I also think um, often in life we don't get justice. We don't see justice for crimes that happen. And we often see one thing that frustrates me a great deal is people get away with things, not just getting away with murder, but with crimes and being cruel. And um, even... Uh, on a bigger scale, various countries or armies or governments can get away with things. And I think sometimes people just want to read about justice being done. It's very satisfying to see mm. that somebody is caught or somebody does have justice served um, yeah. and the bad the bad guy gets done. So I think that's important. Um, and, you know, I also think that crime fiction is a sort of it's it's a chiaroscuro of the ethical the ethical we can how can we tell what's light if we can't see the darkness so to have the two things side by side um the light and the dark we can appreciate the good and we can see what's bad and and i think that helps you to understand life a bit better and to see life a bit clearer maybe makes you feel more grateful for the good things you've got okay so we're going to talk about the, some of the specific challenges that writers face, some of the challenges you face, which people listening to this, many other people listening to this will will be familiar with and identify with. But I wanted to start just briefly with um, craft. So rather than just the kind of personal challenges of writing, but the craft stuff. So um, <clears throat> what are the most, in, what's the most important thing or what are the most important couple of things um, that, that you've done or you've learned to help you with the craft and experience of writing? Well, one of the things I've always done is belong to a writer's group. So I think it's really important, you know, writing is such a solitary occupation and to belong to other writers, you know, to be with other writers and to share your ideas and to share your work and to constructively criticise each other's work is a really positive and um, nourishing pastime. So mm. while I, not in this present school I'm in now, but in my last two schools, I held a um, a young people's writers group for the kids. And I think they, you know, we called it the Inklings and they, they got an awful lot out of that and it helped their writing come along. Yeah. But at the same time, as an adult, I was with um, a group of adults, so that's good. Um, I couldn't afford to do a writer's course or an MA or a degree. I didn't have the time as I was working and paying bills yeah. and I had children. Yeah. So yeah. um I've I had to but being a teacher, um I taught myself a lot of things. So it's really about reading some amazing books. So obviously uh, books like John York into the woods and the science of storytelling um and save the cat writes a novel you know these sort of books are brilliant for people like me who um haven't got the time or maybe the money um to 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 embark on courses so reading those in my own time late at night or when you you know you get to bed or whatever that's really really helped me um particularly with something for instance like uh planning plotting and planning structure i really struggled with structure 
Um, I was just sort of like a, a potter who threw a whole load of clay down on a wheel and just worked and worked to try and get it how I wanted. And I think that took an awful lot of energy that I didn't necessarily need to um, to expend. So once I'd, I'd written, read rather, once I'd read a few books about structure and plotting, then that, that really helped me to um, be more efficient with my time. And I'm also on a group on, you know, Twitter. On Twitter, there's a wonderful writer's community on Twitter. I know there's an awful lot of negativity can go on there. Writer's World on Twitter is a wonderful place to be. There's so much support and there's so much information that that's a a really good place to be. And I totally recommend that. That list of books that you gave us, I think the, the... I just want to kind of pick up on those just so that I've got got it clearly what they were. I think the, the first one you mentioned was called Into the Woods. Right. So John, John York Into the Woods, my editor, when I did Witness X, she uh, suggested to read that one. And it, it's, it is brilliant. It's wonderful. Stories are at the heart of being human. We have stories in our psyche it's in it's in our genetics it's it's how our brain works that's why when we often see you know things going on around us we add a narrative to it so it makes sense because our brains that's how we work with stories so john york's into the woods is a way of sort of exploring how stories work Mm. um but it really relates to what you already know so it's good and the other one was um the science of storytelling by will store uh, that's all about brains and stories and and um again how story works i love that one the save the cat writes a novel is actually really quite an easy read um and it looks at story structure that you will find in films in books and it, it's not um it's not paint it's not writing by numbers but there is a pattern to, to there is a pattern to story, and once you can grasp that, and once you realise that actually that's a very natural, um, that's a very natural occurrence. The story occurs in that way in everyday life and in stories and books. Then you can just check what you're writing or pre-plan what you're writing, and then you feel as though you have a you know you have a much better structure. Okay. So I've just made a note of those because that's I may try and pick up on some of that actually in the future. That uh, I may even try and, and talk to some of those people. Yeah, talk, Jessica Brody. Now Jessica uh, Jessica Brody was on a recent podcast and she wrote "Save the Cat Saves," uh, writes a novel, um, and sh- she'd be up for it. Andrew, she, she's okay. um, she's wonderful. Yeah. All right, that's good. So let's move on then to some of the more personal challenges that that writers face. So what would you say? From your experience are the main stresses and challenges that you've faced as a writer well one of the first one of the biggest challenges is finding who you are as a writer and I struggled with that for a long time I felt as though I had a transgenre identity crisis which is one of the reasons why I have that mouthful on my website about high concept <laughs> near future quantum right because I was like well who am I and I think at first one of the problems I found was that I thought I was going to be a psychological thriller writer and the agent that I first worked with I think she thought I was going to be a psychological thriller writer as well so when I wrote my first book um she, I, I sent her a book and we had to work on it before I went to the publishers. And I found that a really difficult and painful process. It took over two years. And looking back now, 
I because again age and experience gives you such a different perspective looking back now I think she was trying to put me into a psychological thriller box and I think I I was something else so it wasn't until about my second book which was tiring and I worried a lot about it so it was exhausting um it didn't sell but one of the publishers said well I don't really want that book what else have you got because I like your voice so for me, that was a Dragon's Den moment. It was sort of like, well, I don't like that product, but what else have you got? That was Sam Eads at Orion Trapeze, Orion, and she really taught me an awful lot. She was brilliant. So we started working on a new book together. And once that book started emerging, I started emerging and I figured out who I was, that I wasn't a sec- you know, just a um, psychological thriller writer. There was all sorts that I wanted to bring in from my background and my learning. And um, I enjoyed crimes. And, um, you know, my brother, my elder brother is a, a forensic scientist. And when we were growing up, you know, we used to talk about serial killers and crimes and things all the time. So it probably can be, get a bit too gory. But those things aren't appropriate in psychological thrillers I wasn't just trying to find my voice and and now finally I feel like I know who I am pretty much now this is interesting so you it's taken you a while or it took you a while to find your voice and I'm I've, I've talked about this on the podcast with people in the past and it's quite a difficult concept to grasp I think and to actually quantify but I wonder if we could talk about this for a moment so what are the elements do you think of your voice as an author for you and for any any author well what I do know is that when people read Witness X they say to me uh, my son said to me the other day he said I had to put it down he's 17 I had to put it down mum because I, I could only hear I could hear you saying the words I felt like you were reading it to me I thought that is so interesting mm-hmm. so and, and other people have said the same so obviously it's me when I look at other writers because just to bring something in on a, on a slight tangents when Mm. I look at other writers I think oh my god they are so brilliant they are so wonderful why can't I write like them then I realize that I can only be me I can only bring to the table what I am what experiences I've had what interests Mm. me and what Mm. I want want to write so part of your voice would be for me um your personality so the things that you like you love you're interested in you want to explore part of that would be um you know your voice I think also syntax you know how your sentences come out Uh, I know that sounds quite obvious in a way but um I think your syntax how your sentences are formed and the words you would use are certainly your voice and I think also the bigger themes so um I asked uh Joanne um Harris, who wrote Chocolate, I was on Twitter and I was just saying, you know, I'm writing a second book. It's it, it's very similar to my first book in certain ways. Um, is that OK? And she said, you know, people want the same but different. And what I think she means by that is I think, you know, I am Sarah Moorhead. I write about justice and redemption and reconciliation. And that that is basically who I am what I will do is I will provide you with different stories and different characters and different ways to explore those underlying themes the bones the skeleton skeletal structure in your book but there's plenty of other muscles and skin and hair colors and I to go on top of those things so um but I think underlying it you know you, you can tell it's me I don't know whether you agree with this I think that I think most writers take a fair while to discover their voice so if voice is a kind of combination of the things you're really passionate about the way you structure sentences 
the the style and tone that you bring yeah the narrative and actually it isn't it doesn't form straight away it takes a while doesn't it to, to all come together well you know it's interesting because for some people um it doesn't it, it it's it doesn't take that long and for other people it takes a long time so obviously mm -hmm. for me you know when I was sort of about 24 25 I thought I'd love to be a professional writer and I just had a long journey for various reasons um but I mean I used to teach I taught Stuart Turton when he was 16, 17. And Stuart, you know, he came straight out of the box fighting. He just came <laughs> straight out, you know, wrote this amazing book, Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle. But as he said to me the other day, he said, you know, um, I was a journalist first. I took time. When you're younger, yeah. you don't really uh, have necessarily the perspective to present your ideas in the right way. So it was his first book he wrote, but he had a bit of uh, age and perspective under his yeah. belt um, so it, it, I think it really just depends. I mean, some very young people write amazing books, don't they? Yeah, they do. You're right. They do. Right? Much um, to my annoyance, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I've taken a while to mature and to brew, I think. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, 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 I do wonder, though, because you're absolutely right. There are young people, younger people, much younger people who write brilliant books. And um it can it can draw any of us into that kind of terrible comparison thing, mm. I suppose. But I do wonder whether they're writing them because they've just got a sheer vast amount of raw talent rather than they've really refined their voice. Because my, my theory is yeah. that actually everybody takes a while to get to the right voice by different routes. Even if you're, you write a brilliant book when you're very young, actually your voice is still going to mature over time. Yeah, and there's always books to look forward to. So when you find a young writer who, who's written something brilliant, you go, I, I'm so interested to see what you yeah. write in five or ten years' time when, yeah. you know, mm. when you've, um, you, you, you've got these ideas. I think sometimes as a writer you have these ideas and you want to get them out and then you start going, right, what's coming next? What am I curious about next? What's mm. going on in the world? Mm. What am I going to tackle? Uh, and, and so that can be really interesting where that leads, can't it? Mm. I mean, the other thing is, you know, I've just been, um, as I say, been have, you know, bringing up my children, teaching, uh, working on my youth group. You know, there's so much in life to do. I kind of feel lucky in a way because um, I feel like I've had two vocations. I think teaching is very much a vocation. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, I've worked hard and I've given that a lot of love and time and tears, uh, you know, and... I also feel as though writing is my vocation and um, it, it's just the two things running side by side. Um, they've had to take priorities at different times, depending. Yeah. Yeah. So that's taken time. Let's, let's, let's unpack that a little bit more then. So there's obviously there's responsibilities you've had in life with your family. Uh, you've had a, you've had a job, which is, you know, demanding of you personally, because it's a vocation and a calling to be a teacher. Um, there must have been other things that come along that have been that have been a challenge for you. So can you share with us a little bit about the challenges you've had just in your life to kind of get to the writing and how you've dealt with those? When I was a new new mum with my uh, first child, um, I split up with their dad for reasons okay. that were beyond my control. And so I've also spent a bit of time as a single parent. Um, and I think there's an awful lot of single parents with amazing stories to tell. Mm. And, um, you know, that's difficult because you have to go out and you have to work full time and you have to pay the mortgage. And then there's only you at home to look after the little one. 
And when they're very small, you know, they, they don't talk very much and you can feel very lonely. Um, so in, in some ways, I feel as though that has helped me to become a better writer because before before all that happened, I'd written a children's book and I believe it or not, I'd, I'd had an agent. And when once all my personal life had really imploded, I had to put that on hold and I had to just look after my wee boy and go to work. And in a funny way, it redirected my writing into something um, that is more at the heart of me. I became, I, I thought more, I had a little bit of time of reflection and I, I wrote adult books instead. And I, I, looking back, I think it was a really good thing to have happened. Uh, and again, another challenge I had was um, when, um, as I say, I had a, an agent with uh, my first book that didn't sell. And um, that again, it was so disappointing and I'd worked so hard and uh, we'd even got to the stage where my agents had said look you know this, this isn't getting anywhere let why don't you re- rewrite the whole book in first person so that we can try and give it a bit more emotional impact now first person is it's not me at all it's not my voice I appreciate it and I understand that other people that's for them but as a writer it's really not for me now, what, because I was younger and because, you know, I, I thought I'll never be able to get another agent again. I'll never be this lucky again because it was a matter. Obviously, I, I just got lucky, hadn't I? You know, I thought, well, I'm going to do what she wants. I'm going to. I was a people pleaser. And so I thought I'll do exactly what you want. I'll work hard and I'll kill myself to do this. And when it was finished, I was like, this, this, it's just not right. It's not me. Anyway, so as I say, it didn't sell. Um, and then I had this great opportunity to go um, to, to work with Sam Eads at Trapeze. Now, Witness X was, I, and when I finished it, I was, I'm incredibly proud of it. And I think it's a real book that, uh, it's a book that really te- tells you a lot about me. It's really, um, it's a real me book. It's who I am. However, my agent then said that um, she she didn't feel because my genre had changed, because I'd evolved, and that's the word, I think as writers, we constantly evolve, because I had evolved, um, she didn't feel she could represent me anymore, and so I was absolutely devastated, I thought, because it felt like a personal rejection, it felt like a rejection, Yeah. and at the time, I was like, I don't believe this, this is, this is, you know, what's going to happen next, so I spent a long time over lockdown, uh, without an agent, but again, it was brilliant. You know, I always think there's a great Chinese saying, the moment of crisis is the moment of opportunity. And over lockdown, I said, right, I'm going to write a book that's just the way I like it. That's just me. That will be similar to Witness X because that's who I am. I'm going to write this book and we're just going to see what happens. So I wrote a book, believe it or not, over lockdown, um, even though we were teaching online, which had its own challenges uh, because I became an IT technician overnight because, of, you know, Miss, I can't see this. Miss, where's the document? Miss, my camera's not working. Um, so we had all those kind of challenges. But, you know, once the it was easy to sort of plan and set the work up and just be online. But I did have extra time, obviously, because we couldn't go out. Um, so I, I wrote a book where nobody was 
interfering is probably the word it sounds a bit insulting but nobody was interfering with the process right so yeah, I was yeah. allowed to just be myself I'm on a brilliant Facebook group called Debuts 20 so there's a group of people who um their books all came out at the same time of mine and one of the sort of ongoing conversations is that once you get an agent or an editor they can be very hands-on and sort of um dipping in and out of what you're doing all the time and that can cause a lot of problems for writers because um writing as I say it's an evolving process and the story is evolving I often see it very much like a pregnancy or a gestation you know it's something that really you should just um protect and, and keep safe and wait until it's grown into full maturity before you you know um put it out in the world so um for me I had this great time where it, it was like in a secret cocoon I call it my cocoon edit when I wrote the book and I was in this secret world I was writing this book and then when it came out I thought right I'm going to go for another agent and we'll talk about self-doubt in a moment so I applied to eight agents and believe it or not two wanted to see the whole manuscript two didn't get back to me um yeah. And a couple said, well, you know, we really like it for this, this and this reason, but it's not for us. Um, so where I signed with a new agent just recently, I signed with Ed Wilson um, at Johnson Alcock. So I was just over the moon. I couldn't believe that it had happened to me again. I thought, you know, I just got lucky the first time and, it, and I'd never, ever get another agent. But it's obviously, obviously I've got something going on. If you can yeah, say I wanted to ask you about that because I think from what you've said, um, it sounds like you've managed to get three different agents. I did. So bad, time. is it? <laughs> so I'm thinking, this isn't this isn't chance. So we all want to know what your secret is. You know, how have you managed to get, you know, you write to eight agents and two of them want to see your manuscript. I it's know, a pretty good result. Is there anything that I mean, some of it might be just you. Maybe you. Maybe that's just who you are, Sarah. But is there anything you could share with us? It's like these. These are things I think you really should do if you're going to approach an agent. Okay, now this is really interesting because I've just turned fifty, right? And when I, as I say, I was a good girl and a people pleaser. You know, little Irish Catholic girl. You get brought up to behave yourself, be good, yeah. Yeah. all those kind of things, and. I just thought, well, <laughs> I've got to an age now where I, I can do what I like. I can wear purple. I can write books. I can be controversial. Um, so I decided that this time round, um, well, if you go onto my web, I've got a website, sarahmoorhead.com, and there is um, on the blog there, uh, I've given an example of my previous letters to agents just to give you an idea what would be successful. Mm. But this time round, right, because... Because I'd found who I was and because I was like, look, this is me, right? This is all I've got to offer. I can only be me. So I was, I had a, a bit more chutzpah, shall we say, in the emails. I, um, I I was really honest. I let my personality come across. Um, I, I didn't waffle on. So short and sweet and to the point. This is me. This is what I like. This is what I write. And what I want is, because I think once a woman gets to a certain age, she's more than able to ask for what she wants. And I said, I want you, the agent, to take my book and do something special with it. I want to be Stella. I want to write bestsellers. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. and I, wasn't, 
I wasn't prepared to be a shrinking violet anymore and just to be a people pleaser. And I said, this is what I want and this is what I've got to offer. And and, and I think that really helped, you know, I think that yeah. really helped. I can believe it did. And I can, I mean, just listening to the words you say and the way you say them, I can well imagine that by just your inclination is to be quite direct, honest, yes. straight, clear, scouser it's bound to be <laughs> yeah I, mean, I, don't, I don't want to kind of stereotype <clears throat> perhaps scousers too much um <laughs> but there is that kind of like this is how it is this is what i want let's do it yeah well you know you can always be polite there's no you know there was no yeah. there was no being Absolutely. rude there was no really being like um impudent it was all just um yeah because when you're writing a book you are taught to edit you know you teach yourself to edit or you learn to edit well um, you know, we that's what we're in the business of presenting ideas as best we can. Mm. So I just thought, mm. hey, why don't you turn that onto your um your letter to your agents and present yourself, edit it, present it. This is what you know, and it seemed to do the trick anyway. Oh, now the other another thing I wanted to just pick up briefly on was um you talked about perhaps editors and agents getting too involved. So if you're writing something and particularly perhaps with an editor, when when would you recommend people go to the editor? Is it like do you go like do you believe in it's got you gotta get your first draft done first? You don't want anybody to interfere with it before then, or what, what how does that work for you? Well, this is really interesting too, because you get different types of agents. So some agents will work with you and they will edit your work and it'll be very hands-on. I got to the stage where um that my agent and my editor were both interested in doing this on the previous book. And I found I was serving two masters and I found that very yeah. difficult. Yeah. Um, so, and I also found they had very different, different styles. And I found as though, you know, Sam Eads really got me and got what I was trying to do. So I decided that I would only go to her. So I wasn't trying to please two people in one go. Um, but, you know, it just it's horses for courses. It depends what a writer wants and what they need. But because stories emerge and because they evolve, if I wonder for me personally, if somebody gets involved at an early stage, is it going to take a direction that you didn't really intend it to? Or did you give yourself time, enough time to um, to let it naturally come into being and so mm-hmm. its own path. And as I say, there's massive um, pressure on, on you know, to fit into a genre. And I think sometimes I wonder if that's booksellers more than publishers, because, you know, we need to put this book in a certain place. Um, so much so that with Witness X, I mean, I had a great, I had good banter with um, Waterstones Liverpool 1. And at one point I said, oh, you've put me in the science fiction. I want to go into the crime thrillers. And he's got this lovely little video of him, you know, this wonderful movie. I think it was a circle of life moving the book from one to the other place. So, you know, um, genre, genres, it, uh, it can be problematic, especially cross genre, which is what I think I do. So if someone's working with you and they're trying to squeeze you into a certain genre and you're actually you know overspilling that then then that can also clip your wings a bit and I think as creative people we need to make sure that we're allowed to evolve fully but then on the other hand I think writing two sides not two sides of the brain because I don't think science follows that idea anymore it's two different activities in the brain it's your creative side and there's also very much your logical side. So, for instance, I love jigsaw puzzles, right? And this is because you have the whole gestaltic, what's the picture going to be? And then we have the little tiny 
you know, putting the little pieces together and finding the pieces. And I think that's totally what being a writer is about. So there is a pattern in the things that you're different things you're saying around finding your voice, believing in your own voice, believing in the stories you're telling, even if they kind of contravene these sort of genre silos that we end up in. Yeah, uh, I think he's, you know, that's great great advice this fits in with when you have no time you know very little time as a writer and I think some people ask me well how do you write when you don't feel creative Mm. and what I say is well um as I said, because you've got these two sort of approaches in your brain to writing, when the creation's not there, the creativity is not there, then I think you can go into the logical side of your brain and go into the editing side. So I think writing's not just about being creative and being in the creative flow. It's also very much about the logical, structural approach to what you're doing. So when I don't feel creative, and when I'm not enjoying the ideas I'm working with, when I'm still working them through, I can go into the editing um, so time can always be used usefully uh, in your writing time and there's also just the kind of thinking about what you're going to write about so when I walk yeah. the dog I spend a lot of time thinking about writing pondering ideas and it's always going on at the back of my brain so yeah, so writing can take up quite a bit of time in different ways <laughs> and of course time is something that we don't always have a lot of as, as writers isn't there so I wondered if there was um, anything you wanted to say to us around being disciplined in our writing or being or using the time that we have using the energy that we have and conserving that that for for the writing that we want to do yeah I mean I think one of the um, problems I had was time because I had to work full-time initially um, you know when I started writing my adult books um, but then I had to take a big gamble and go part-time because I just mm. couldn't do the two things at once mm. so um, that is a huge gamble I, and it hasn't paid off yet Andy but I am keeping the faith that eventually it will pay off and the other thing is it's it's a funny way of looking at it but it's about this being disciplined not to write because it's all well and good I'm good I mean at the moment I'm, I'm getting up at five o'clock in the morning to get a couple of hours or an hour or so in before work because that way I don't feel guilty because um, in the evening I want to spend time with my family and I yeah. can't just go tootling off to my desk uh, and ignoring them so for me I thought well where have I got any time and I have time first thing in the morning yeah. thankfully I'm a lark and not a night owl but other people would obviously write write very late into the night wouldn't they yeah. um but then it's about being disciplined to not write because sometimes you can be so obsessed with your writing and I want it to work so much and I've got these ideas and I want to get them down on paper but actually do you know what I need to go and make the tea or I need to go and visit my mum and dad or I need to just sit down and give my brain a bit of a break. No I think that's a that's a really interesting point actually because I mean I, I would confess that I find it harder to stop yeah. than to do it. And actually, I know that if I don't stop, if I keep going and keep, you know, keep finding things to do and little projects and writing related stuff, actually, the quality of what I'm doing just declines because I haven't rested or I haven't stopped or, you know, whatever. So, I mean, I don't know how to, I'd be as interested as anyone else to hear any perspective you've got on that. How, how do you discipline yourself to kind of step back? Right. Well, firstly, um, I, I, do you know the top the Pomodoro method? The um, Pomodoro is an Italian word for a tomato, and it's based on a um, Italian kitchens when they're cooking the pasta and they use a little tomato timer. So part of what I will do is I will give myself twenty minutes on my um, timer, 
and I will write for that 20 minutes solid and then I'll take a break. And I'll I can do that. Um, for obviously, first thing in the morning, I'll do that three or four times before work. Yeah. And later on, so say, you know, say my husband says I'm going to take a, uh, the dog for a walk with the boys. I will 20 minutes. Let's just do it. Yeah. So I, I've yeah. learned to do that recently and that really helps. Okay. But what I do notice is that um, I, if I'm overdoing it, I will feel as you rightly say the quality may go down or I may feel as though like the other morning I I was stuck on page 157 and 158 editing I could not I just could not get my brain to to figure out the puzzles Mm. and I just said Sarah Mm. do you know what you're tired stop it just stop it so it's mm. learning to stop when you recognize that you, it's not coming easily yeah. because it should come it should come easily really especially when okay. you talk about you know you're in your flow and you want to write that's great so it's about recognizing when you've got to stop and it's a recognizing that other people around you have needs and you have to fit mm. in with them you know they have to compromise yes. with yeah. other people no, and when you start feeling anxious about your writing um when you've been working very hard and you start feeling anxious and when you start to overthink and I say, okay, now's the time to go and have a bath, walk the dog, ring a friend. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. So when you do this thing where you work right for 20 minutes and you take a break, how long do you take a break for? If, if you were going to do quite a long run of it and you were going to do like chunks of this 20 minutes. Okay. Well, I'll be honest. I have a little bit of a social media addiction. So part of it was to stop myself going on social media because it's so easy just to chat and yeah. to look about right look up about writing and see what yeah. people are doing in the right world. So I partly did it to um stop myself doing that. So I'll write for 20 minutes and then I'll have five minutes where I'll get a coffee, have a quick yeah. flick through Twitter. Um, then I'll do another 20 minutes and I'll, you know, go and unload the washing machine and then I'll do another 20 minutes and do something else. So it's yeah. it's really about um ha- um about pure focused writing and then having a little treat uh, or doing a job that you have to do yeah um, just yeah yeah that's that's good so um <clears throat> I, we're, we're kind of coming to the end of our time now but um and I'm, I'm going to ask you in a minute about um how people can find out about what you what you're doing at the moment and find out more about you but uh before we get to that is there anything else you want to say to us that's like you guys as writers need to hear this. This is what I think is an important thing. I think a lot of writers suffer from self-doubt. And I think, um, if anything, that's going to be your overwhelming obstacle uh, to you getting published and and becoming a bestseller. And for me, um, yeah, obviously I've suffered from self-doubt all the time. You see all those brilliant writers there who construct these sentences that just make you throw the book in the corner because you go, I could never write that. But as again, once I've got to my age, I think, do you know what? I'm just going to believe in myself anyway. I'm going to keep the faith. I'm going to keep the faith because there's lots of books out there that are mediocre that have been published. Why might not I have moments of inspiration? Why might my books not speak to people and not, and not you know, resonate with people? They're going to because I'm a human being and I have these ideas and other people are going to be interested. But I also think that, you know, we're um, writers are like boxers. It's just us and the book in the ring. And, and I, I, I'm obviously a person of faith. And I think, um, you know, a lot of boxers are people of faith, uh, Muhammad Ali and, you know, other boxers, because it's just you on your own fighting. So for me, um, 
I keep the faith. I just keep determined. So what? I'm not the best writer in the world. So so what? Just write what you are. Write, you know, be be yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I try and keep the doubts out the way and uh, just hope for the best. I think I think resilience is so important in life. You know, it's a big thing in education now that we teach our pupils to be resilient. And because I've had a difficult life at times. Um, you know, including in my childhood, I had some difficult times, but they've just encouraged me to get back up and get fighting. So I always say my um, my my theme song is, you know, I'm still standing by Elton John. I, and I do get down at times and I do get frustrated. But for some reason, I've got such a drive to just want to get there and, and to do it that I get back up off the canvas and, and just start again and try and yeah. try and think positively. I mean, it feels like actually we've come across another quite big issue which I do want to just take a moment to talk to you about which is this issue of resilience and obviously you've said some things which are encouraging about how we can all be resilient but what what would your advice be to people who who don't feel resilient how what are the maybe one or two things that people could do to build up their resilience because we all need it as writers don't we I mean we really do well Obviously, as I said, I'm a person of faith. So for me, it's prayer. For other people who who um, that's not their thing, then, you know, I, I think sending ideas out into the universe, talking about what you're doing, talking to your friends about what you're doing. I think when you do that, it sort of materialises in a way. It sort of brings into being um, your success. If that doesn't if that doesn't sound too woo-woo, it kind of helps you to if you talk about it with your friends and if you talk about your ideas, um and when negative when you know when self-doubt comes into your mind, just go, yeah, I'm gonna examine that self-doubt, but later on I'm gonna give myself five minutes between five to six and six o'clock where I can feel uh, I'm an idiot, I can't write. Uh, and I'm going to, I'm just going to have that as my worry five minutes then, because I haven't got time to worry. And I've got a career to build and I need to be getting on with the business of, you know, it's like Lego. It's brick on brick on brick. It's word on word on word. And for every time that I'm worrying and experiencing self-doubt, and then those words aren't, aren't getting written. And I'd also say about, um, again, about difficult experiences that you have in your own personal life. They Those things, again, um, horrible as they are they they're a springboard to want to make a better life and they're a springboard to want to write and express and explore all these amazing experiences and ideas that we have in life so looking back I don't regret things and I don't think I wish things were different I recognize they were difficult um and I use them to uh, just to revel in what it means to be a human and what, and what you do with those, you know, because there's a lot of people who are writers or who are listening who will go, this terrible thing happened to me. And it's just there. What do you do with it? Well, you take that and you turn that energy into creativity. And and obviously I've, obviously I've thought about this for a long time and it's taken me time to get to this point. I'm going to turn them into um into an energy that can create a, a good story not necessarily talking specifically about my personal experiences because I wouldn't do that but just that energy and use that to to knit something else together it's unraveling the jumper of my life Andy and knitting <laughs> it into into a cardigan and a scarf <laughs> 
There's a metaphor for you. I could just you. hear that song in the background when you're saying those words that I'm still sat, standing. <laughs> you are still standing, aren't you? You've kind yeah. of taken it all on the chin and come back and, yeah. Yeah. And, and getting on with your life and, and doing the things you want to do, which yes. is fantastic. Yeah. So, I mean, on that subject of doing the things you want to do then, what what are your what are you working on now and what do you hope to achieve and what do you hope to do with, with your writing in the next let's say a couple of years or so okay so as I said I wrote a book in lockdown and um I'm, I'm really happy with it and it, it's gone to Ed and Ed says um you know going out to, to uh, publishers by the end of the month right. hopefully right. um uh, I mean i I'm obsessed with the idea of psychopathy. I am furious that there are psychopaths in the world who hurt other people. So um, in my book, it's about, is there a possibility that you can cure psychopaths? So that's that's kind of what it's about. And it's also about the um, the justice system and how prisoners are treated and what that might be like in a, spec, in a speculative fiction world, how we might treat prisoners in a better way or a worse way, depending. So that's what I've written. And I am, you know what, I'm just, this sounds horribly cocky, but I just want it to be a bestseller. I just want to get out there. I want more people to see my books. Yeah. Um, as I say, I think I'm proud of Witness X now. You mm. know, it's it's not perfect. It's not, you know, it's not up there with the best of them, but it's good enough. Right. We don't, we're not going for pe- perfectionism. We're going for good enough. And for me, it's good enough. But it didn't really get the um, sort of promotional or publicity that, that would get me anywhere um, in the in the writing world, I don't think. So I'm really hoping the next book um, it's it's going to be it's going to be a big seller. I'd like that. It'd be good. <laughs> Why not? Can you tell us the title yet, or is that is it all a secret at the moment? I am rubbish at titles, Andy. I couldn't <laughs> pick a title to save my life, so I don't know. <laughs> all right. I don't know, but um, we'll see what the publishers say. But I I, mean, I, I kind of think I want to call it an eye for an eye. Because it, because it's a, it's about revenge and redemption and the justice yeah. system, but you know who knows what it's going to be called at the right. end of the day. Well, Witness X sounds like an intriguing title. I, so, I didn't pick it. <laughs> I didn't no, pick well, the title. Well, well, well. <laughs> so, yeah. if people are a bit intrigued and want to find out more about you and about your work, your books and stuff, what, what can they do to do that? So I have got a website, um, sarahmoorhead.com, and I'm also on um, Twitter. I'm quite lively on Twitter, and I love people getting in touch with me. So that's um, at S.E. Moorhead um, on, on Twitter. And that website, can you just, because uh, people could spell your surname in all kinds of different ways, can you just spell that out for us, that website, so that we know where to go to? Yes, so it's uh, S-A-R-A-H, that's Sarah. Uh, m-o-o-r-h-e-a-d.com okay is there anything else you want to say to us before we finish Sarah yes just try to put your ego aside try and put yourself doubts aside try and be yourself it's taken me 50 years to learn these things if I could go back to a younger Sarah I would pummel her ears with these ideas I would tell her to start early I would tell her to start writing you know write and write and write read books about writing just I would give her all those messages so Mm. you know Mm. just believe in yourself and give it a go and be yourself grand okay Sarah thank you so much for your time it's been really um, interesting to hear like you know this mixture of craft ideas and inspiration and also kind of personal inspiration for writers and and encouragement that you've given us all so that's great thanks very much thanks so much Andy for having me on I really appreciated it thank you 
Thank you for listening to the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast. You can find out more about the podcast at my website, andrewjchamberlain.com, where you can also find details of the Creative Writers Toolbelt handbook, which takes all the best advice and insights from the early episodes of the podcast and distill them into one volume. I hope this episode has been useful to you on your writing journey. If it has, please do subscribe to the podcast and consider leaving a review as well wherever you downloaded it. Thank you for listening to this episode and goodbye.